covering part one and part two? Correct. Yeah, yeah Scott, you're coming those. in confused about icing. Got it? Yeah. Yep. Cool. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Robert Berger. I am joined by our hosts, Lee Griffin and Scott Boris, to cover icing today. How are you guys doing? Icing? I, I thought we were just talking about uh, flying around in our 150s again. I don't, I don't really know anything about icing. <laughs> Lee, what about you? <laughs> Nailed it. It's always the 150s. Yeah, no, we're, no, we're, we're covering uh, an advisory circular today on icing. We're going to uh, break it down into two different parts. There's a lot of material to cover. Um, part one, which is today. Um, we're going to cover like what is icing, why is it dangerous, why does it matter to us, and uh, just all the things we're going to include in our pre-flight planning uh, to uh, have the safest possible outcome in that flight. Um, part two, the next episode we're going to do, it's going to be how different airplanes have different capabilities, de-icing, anti-icing capabilities, and all of the um, in-flight measures that we can take um, to uh, conduct that flight as safely as possible. Um, that's going to be... Um, there's a lot there. There's a lot to both of these. You know, it's a 60-something-odd-page advisory circular. Um, and this really kind of sets the tone. All advisory circulars offer a lot of guidance, so there's a lot of information to cover. So that's why I had to break it down in two parts. Um, Rob, what you got? Uh, I wanted to basically make a point. I am not reading verbatim 63 pages of uh, advisory circular like we do with the regulation episodes. Uh, so we're kind of just making an outline here, kind of doing a uh, two-part episode series on icing using uh advisor circular 91-4b so tediously boring monologues for me will be less this episode um i have uh i've lived in florida now for a while so i haven't even thought about icing in almost a decade um but we have a wealth of experience between lee and scott here um scott i was going to start with you uh, as far as what icing is what is icing like? Why is it dangerous to get your perspective as like a private pilot, fair weather flyer, 150 flyer? And then we'll jump over to Lee, uh, who's currently in the corporate world, actually flying for a living and dealing with this stuff more heavily. Well, uh, first off, I'd say I, I just avoid icing at, at all costs. Like if there's a possibility that there might be a speck of ice on my plane, I'm just not going to fly in it because in my opinion, it's dangerous. And obviously, I have no de-icing capabilities, so that's uh, that's the way I look at it. But I guess I would say you you know if uh, if it's below freezing out and visibility is low, probably not going to fly in it, <laughs> Lee. Yeah, I mean that's that is what you want to hear. Like that is kind of a textbook description. If I was an examiner doing giving you a check ride as a private pilot, that's exactly what I would want to hear. That's in an aircraft of limited capability, which is all GA aircraft for the most part. You need you, that's exactly the way you need to look at it. You know, when you talk to um, or you think about ICAO standards, which is the International Civil Aviation Organization, you know, they've defined icing conditions, and that's pretty much what you've just described. It's poor visibility and freezing below freezing conditions i mean there's a little bit more to it than that but that's basically it you've just, you've just said yeah. you don't you don't want to fly in there. Be, you, so that's you gotta be careful t- no you gotta be careful too because it might be above freezing on the ground but as soon as you go up in the air a little bit you know so you check the you, you check freezing. the freezing exactly. levels in your pre-flight you gotta look into that yeah you gotta check in what your, what what weather there's a ton of different weather uh, reports you get when you're pre-flighting, especially like in the winter time. Which one covers the freezing levels? I, I, I 
haven't dealt with this in so long. I forget which one you would find those freezing levels in. Lee? Oh, I mean, well, yeah, I mean, you have the low, low, low level of prognostic charts, you know, which are going to give you a lot of information. Um, but I mean, really most, well, I haven't flown. I mean, I haven't really religiously flown aircraft that it really mattered to in a long time, but Pyreps is where I look a lot of the time. Yeah. You can do the math simply, you know, if you know that it's 34 degrees on the ground and on on a regular day, you're losing two degrees Celsius per thousand feet at a thousand feet, you know, it's freezing. Yeah. You can do that math relatively simply. That's not, I mean, that's not a one size fits all situation, but, or, uh, equation, but I mean that is you can you can come up with some guidelines there pretty pretty easily. But pyreps, you know anybody who's using you know four flight or uh, you know sky vector to do any type of flight planning, you're going to see all that information. It's right at your fingertips. You're going to be able to find out where so the that's freezing. Typi- that's uh, typically are. the area where uh, you start to get icing on an airplane is the, the right on the borderline of freezing. Correct. Um, when you really want to talk about ICAO standards, you know, so when you're talking about, you know, I've flown multiple aircraft now in the Bombardier and the Embraer, um, the different manufacturers, pretty much the definition you're looking at is positive 10 outside air temperature or static air temperature, OAT or SAT, down to What's negative it? 40 okay. the, the- SAT, static air temperature. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Positive 10 TAT. I'm sorry, positive 10 TAT to negative 40 SAT, if that makes any I sense. I don't know what those terms you, mean. You talking? <laughs> you talking? Uh, you, TAT you talking is total Celsius air temperature. You're talking Celsius, right? Of, yeah, this is aviation. We're always talking yeah. Celsius. So, okay. uh, yeah, uh-huh. TAT, positive 10 TAT, which is total air temperature. So, that's basically looking at your outside air temperature or your your corrected outside air temperature plus any basically friction from how fast you're going through so the air. taking that into account on the thermometer. So in, yeah, TAT is going to basically, I mean, the same concept as a compressibility error. If you're going fast through the air, compressibility error is more of a factor. Same thing with the anti-ice or with the ice or the icing conditions. The faster you're going, the more air fr- friction you're getting across the surfaces of the aircraft. So the warmer the aircraft surfaces are, the less likely you are to get ice. You know, we can be up at out, and you can have a 30, 40 degree split between total air temperature and the outside air temperature because of how fast you're going through the air, the friction with the air. Okay. So I did not know that. I've never flown anything where that mattered. Oh, I mean, it's a huge concern. You can just, I mean, it doesn't take much. You just look at the gauge and there's a 40, most of the times, your air data computer will tell you these couple different things, and they're right in the same area typically in your multifunction display MFD, and it'll tell you exactly what those two temperatures are. All right. It's really it's really kind of cool. And you can see those, t- I mean, with how fast you're going, fuel flow, all those things come into consideration once you've done enough. But yeah, you can see uh, what they want. What they see is 10 degrees above 10 degrees Celsius TAT, total air temperature to negative 40 SAT. That window there, SAT meaning static, the the still air temperature, or, or outside air temperature is basically the same concept. Um, so negative 40 is when there's really not enough moisture in the air anymore to, con- to be conducive to icing. Okay, before we go to touch forward, 
why is icing bad? Like, what is it actually doing to the airplane when it, let's like say you're not in a, in a regional jet or a corporate jet and you're flying like more GA style, smaller airplanes. What is the, the negative effect of those? Well, it's obviously ice is, can be very heavy for one. And it also changes the uh, aerodynamics of the aircraft and not, uh, you're not going to create as much lift. And obviously you're, you're adding a lot of weight to the plane too. And so I would think that those would be the two biggest problems with it. Obviously also if your windshield ices up, you can't see either. So if you're, if you're flying VFR, that's going to be a problem also. Uh, between weight and like changing the aerodynamics, what do you think of those two are the two bigger factors? Which one do you, which one, what do you think is the biggest factor? The aerodynamics mm. is probably the biggest factor. You need, you need a lot of ice. Right. What do you, or is it, I'm wrong. Am I wrong? You need a lot of ice for the weight. You need to, for the weight to affect. Well, yeah, I suppose the weight it doesn't so, take as much ice to to totally screw with a lot of wings. Right. Depending on where it's at and what type of ice it is. That's that's what I would think. That's what I would assume. Uh, Lee, you're the expert. Well, no, I'm not an expert on anything. But what I would say is, if it, the types of icing that are going to give you the most amount of weight are going to accrue the fastest. Clear, clear ice clear ice is the is the heaviest, right? Correct. And but it's also the most aerodynamic, it's the least impact from an aerodynamic standpoint. Yeah, true. So if you are accruing clear ice at a, you know, slow rate, which is not not typical of clear ice anyways, you know, um it's not going to be that big of a deal. But rime ice, you know, or mixed ice where it's very, you know, unaerodynamic and can be very disruptive to your airflow, your local airflow uh, around the um, the airfoil, it's going to be, it's, it can accrue slow. Yes. And it can be fine. The airplane handles fine. The airplane handles fine. The airplane handles fine. Right up until it doesn't. Yeah. That's the, the clear thing. ice. Before we go on, clear ice is basically really smooth ice. And it, they call it clear ice because you can usually see right through it. It's like a shiny sheen on the, the wing surfaces when I've seen this in real life sometimes. And then rime ice is just like packed in, like jagged. Like snow almost, like rough. packed snow. Yeah, it's like slushy, like frozen slushiness or something. Yeah. Like really rough is how I would describe those two. Yeah. Yep. I, I imagine you get some ice on your propeller. That's really going to affect your performance too. Well, and that's the thing what people don't understand is just like we talk about density altitude, you know, density altitude sucks because it reduces horsepower from the engine, reduces thrust from your prop, reduces lift from your wing. Same thing with ice. It does the exact same things. Reduces thrust from the prop, reduces lift from the wings. So it's not hard for when you get into a clearer situation where you have maybe a warmer um, air mass up above you and you have clear ice happening. So you're you're in a you're in a freezing area and you have warm air above you, so you have rain happening, freezing rain, super cooled liquid droplets, and then hitting the airframe and then instantly freezing. So you're forming this clear ice. It's going to happen so quickly. You're going to lose that thrust from that prop. So any chance of getting out of it, if you don't take immediate action, I mean, it, it just happens so quick. I mean, I've seen, I've seen some crazy amounts of ice 
in like, hey, we're good. Hey, how's it looking out your window? Good. Hey, how's it looking at you? Oh, man, we got like three inches of ice like right now. What's what's the best way to get out of ice? Well, it depends on what situation is. And that is always a judgment call. That is always a judgment call. Typically, it's climb. climb to get out of ice. It, yeah. What's that? Say it again. What did you say? I said sometimes you can actually you climb to get out of ice. It depends on what type of airplane you're in. If you're in yeah. a you know yeah. light GA airplane and you're not identifying what type of ice you're getting, you're not you didn't if you didn't look at what's going on around you before you took off, and you're not identifying properly what type of ice you're in currently. Like, cause that's the best report, right? Is what you're actually experiencing. Yeah. There's pilot reports and METARs and TAFs and you can call up a uh, flight watch, which we'll talk about later. Um, and you can get kind of an idea of what's going on around you, but nothing is as accurate as what you are actually experiencing. Right. Yeah. You, right. you are the most current, you are the only person at that point in space Temperature, humidity, all that dew point, all that stuff. You are the only person experiencing that right now at your airspeed because airspeed matters. Um, so why pie reps are so valuable. They are. They are. But it's, it's pilots reporting what's actually going on around them as long as the person giving the pie rep knows what they're talking about. Well, yeah, and it, but it needs to be similar type of aircraft. Conditions can yeah, change like, well, very quickly. Conditions can change very quickly, and the different what might be one almost minute, trace right. ice to a seven thirty seven might be severe ice into a one fifty. Oh yeah, if there anything like that's reporting ice, and you bring a small little Cessna or Piper or something up in it, then it's probably going to be a, a dire situation compared to the the jet that's certified for known ice. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely, uh, definitely. Can you, when you're flying, if you're in clear skies, can you get icing? Or is it typically something when you're, you got to have visible moisture? I have not. So most of the aircraft that I've flown in the transport category are are aircraft. So they're, you know, turbojet aircraft. They have ice detectors. So they have a probe out there that vibrates at a constant (laughs) frequency. This might, this might blow a lot of people's minds, but they have ice detectors that vibrate at a constant frequency. So when ice accrues, so when icing conditions are present, and they these ice detectors actually accrue ice, it, mo- it adds weight to the probe. It adds weight to the probe, which modifies... It doesn't vibrate the same cr- when it has ice. Exactly. Yeah, you guys got it. You know, you know what you're talking about. So, and then if it stops vibrating... At the at the normal rate, it says, "Hey, ice detected or ice or whatever." Some of those will some of those will then heat up, let it burn off. Well, they and all then yeah reset they, itself to see how fast it's accumulating. They yeah, I mean they they have to burn it off. Yeah, all those probes are heated, or it wouldn't do you any good. It'd say ice one time, and then be have ice on it for the rest of the flight until it sublimated off or whatever the case may be. But yeah, they're all they're all heated. I should get one of those. I should get one of those for the 150. That'd be that'd be worth your time. We're gonna talk about all. I mean, yeah, you're being a smartass, but we're gonna talk about all that here soon. But yeah, so you have ice detectors. It's gonna tell you when you have ice, and it will enunciate on some form of indication. You know, some most aircraft I fly, they have what's called an ICAS, and it will it will literally say ice detected. 
So, will you have you detected ice like in clear air though, or is it usually when you're clouds? No, I've ne- I've never seen it in clear in clear air. Supp- supposedly they can. We have, right? like in theory, or, or am I mistaken on that? I think you have to have visible right Mo- visible moisture. I don't know. Well, every everything we say is visible moisture. I mean, it, it, if it detects ice, it detects ice. Who am I to say? I'm who am I to say? So all the limitations that I've seen in the multiple transport category aircraft that I've flown is positive 10 total air temperature to negative 40 static air temperature, invisible moisture. So if you look at your TAT and it says anything true air temperature, T, uh, 10 degrees or less. Total, total air temperature. True air temperature. Total, total, not true. Total air temperature. Yeah. 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 So that means ra- the ram air friction is heating up the wing. That's so all is, included. Is there a sensor on the most aircraft that tell you your total air temperature? To- no. No, no, no. That, I mean, that's a, tr- that's a transport category thing. That's a transport category thing. You, you wouldn't be able to know. Um, you know, and, and I, I, I mean, I hope that we're getting, to, we're covering the GA aircraft here, uh, in this conversation here quickly, but yeah. So you have total air temperature that is going to factor in the fact that you're going fast enough through the air that you're actually heating up the airframe slightly more than the, or not slightly, but 30 to 40 degrees more than the, um, outside air temperature. So like in a, a Cessna 172, bring, bring it back uh-huh. to that. Yeah. Um, we, we don't have any of that. So we're just looking out in the wings, basically. If if we're worried about it, we're looking at the like the wing strut. If if we have one like you no know, Cessna, if it's a Piper, you're looking at leading edges. That's if it's a low wing or like a Cirrus. Oh, that I'm yeah, I mean that's a perfect example. Yeah, I mean look at the fact that you need to be aware of what the outside air temperature is. Yes. And in those in these GA aircraft that most most everybody's flying you're looking at outside air temperature. You're not going fast enough to really cause any, you know, friction with the air that's really going to be measurable, you know, for our purposes in that case. So yeah, look at your outside air temperature. Know kind of what the IKO okay. definitions are. Keep an eye on that leading edge. I mean, that's it. You know, um, any any anti icing capability you have, get it on when you're entering visible moisture within those. Um, Temperature limitations, positive 10 it, to negative 40. It's been 10 years since I lived in an area where I had to worry about this icing stuff. But I remember stressed was super cooled water droplet. Is that the most common way to to get like clear ice? Which is basically to explain to the listeners, super cooled water droplets, from what I understand, is like a water droplet needs some sort of impurity to freeze if it doesn't have an impurity to freeze on, it's basically going to be below freezing, but it's still going to be in liquid. It's going to be in liquid form, so it's going to be below yeah. below freezing in liquid form, and then your aircraft yes. wing or, or whatever part of the airplane comes through that airspace, and it's the surface is below freezing typically because the air is, and then it hits that and basically just instantly freezes, and that's how you can mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. pick up. That's like one of the worst situations, right? As far as picking up picking up tons of ice really fast, yep, that is that is that is absolutely. I mean, you're 100 percent right. That is the worst case scenario. Yeah, you're if if so icing a snowflake, whatever, 
it needs is called a condensation nuclei yep. to condense upon to freeze. So if you don't have condensation nuclei present, which a lot of times is, is, is possible at high altitudes. So if you're talking, you know, between like 25,000 and, you know, maybe 15,000 feet, you don't have a lot of condensation, you know, nuclei, meaning, you know, particulate matter from, you know, industrial fallout, you know, plants, whatever, putting stuff in smog, putting stuff up in the dust, you know, volcanic ash, all that stuff. You don't have that up at those altitudes. So you have basically lick, you have, Super cool. I mean, literally, it's, it's all in the name. Super cooled liquid droplets. So you have liquid water that exists below freezing because it does not have what's called a con- condensation nuclei to freeze upon. So it can exist below freezing. All it's waiting for is some surface to freeze on. And that's your airplane coming along, just flying through this airspace. It doesn't matter what temperature, I mean, well, for the most part, it doesn't matter what temperature the wing is. It's going to hit that wing. That's something for it to finally adhere upon, and it does. And it can take a second. So even if you have some anti-icing capability along the leading edge, you can hit that leading edge, roll back from that leading edge, and then refreeze. And that's that's a dangerous situation to be on. But, um, that's, I mean, that's all stuff you need to be aware of. I mean, you really don't want to go flying through there with the with this scenario so you're talking about this we're on the ground in part one yeah. here we're still on the ground yeah like doing pre-flight looking at the weather what weather what are you checking is there weather reports that will show that there's super cool water droplets or super cool clouds full of these things or is this you just kind of got to know the weather and, and interpolate that i mean you know for me i'm not an expert but all the stuff that I look at is I look at that I don't want to be flying in cumuliform type clouds with these types of temperatures, you know, below freezing because it's it's one or the other because I you have two extremes. You have either it's super cool uh, liquid droplets or you have um, like ice particles flying around. So one is either still in liquid form and it can accrue quickly and, you know, cause all the negative, uh, you know, aerodynamic issues, or you have all the ice particles flying around that you can ingest in your engine and cause damage to your, to your engine. So it's like one or the other. So just like we avoid cumuliform type clouds in the summer due to the convective activity and the thunderstorms, what have you, hail, potential hail, we avoid those in the winter too. You don't want to fly those. It's not going to be a good ride for you and your passengers to begin with. Then on top of that, it presents all these negatives like, like the uh, very quick airframe icing, um, clear icing, which of course accrues the fastest and is the heaviest, and then the possible um, – icing with the uh, engines you know you don't want to flame out an engine you know just because just because that's right along your uh your 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 course and your your waypoints are all lined up that sounds great but ideally yeah you just stay straight and never touch anything but you don't so i i icing would cause a flame out in a turbo jet engine yeah Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I, obviously, I've never experienced it, but people have, and it's a big, uh, it's a big talking point with the FAA and NASA right now. Okay, for sure. I mean, obviously, it happens, and obviously, there's a lot of stuff built into the engines, and um, 
the different compressor sections, turbine sections of the engines to safeguard against that, it definitely still happens. I mean, it's rare, but how much does it matter how rare it is when it happens to you that one in a million times that it does? Yeah, definitely. I think the so the cumuliform clouds are that's the worst for for like the super cooled water droplet stuff. Those will tend to hold the most moisture in liquid form due to the nature of the cloud, you know, cumuliform, just like when you do your private pilot um, uh, knowledge test stuff and you're doing all that training, you're learning that cumuliform clouds are going to be the clouds with the highest amount of lift, which is what is going to kind of suspend moisture okay. in the liquid uh, form. I mean, Scott, I'm going to punt this to Scott. Scott, you know what I, mean? I think I know what like cumuliform is. Yeah. Do you remember like the stratus, the cumulus, and cirrus clouds? Like, could you identify those, Scott? Because I know I couldn't. Uh, I probably could. The, the cumulus are like the big, you know, like thunderstorm-looking clouds, right? Cumuliform, I'm thinking like that an- that anvil. Right. You're looking, looking like thing, big, I big, believe. tall clouds, right? Lee? Cumuliform? That's what it is, right, Lee? Yeah. 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 Yeah, like the like what you would think of like a thunderstorm would look like that kind of cloud, right? Yeah. So like, no. what, so like what's a stratus and a cirrus cloud then? I know this would probably be better in like a video format, not audio, but uh, stratus uh, work on our descriptive. Yeah, ability. I don't know. I get those two. I get those two confused. You know, it's been it's been what uh, it's been a while since I've been learning how to fly, so. It's something that, as a private pilot, you should definitely know, but I do not. <laughs> well, well, the thing is, though, is I know that you know if you look at a cloud whether it's good or not. You know what I mean? I know that you. Oh, yeah. I know that yeah, you know I, that. I, I can't. I you get can't. the names mixed up, but I right. know what what I should that's fly what, and that's what how I, I shouldn't am. fly. Like so, exactly. And that's the important Some part. Point to the sky and go, oh, that's a this and that, and I'm like, I just, that looks. I'd fly through that, and I look at something else, be like, I don't know what that is, but I wouldn't fly through it. Yeah, there's what exactly, and what which is more important? Of, being there's able three to types of clouds. What? There's three types of clouds: bad clouds, good clouds, and clouds that don't really matter. <laughs> you know, clouds that aren't necessarily kind of, good, they're just, they're but they're not really that there. bad either. You know, so those right. are the three types. Right. Right. And I mean, you have to factor in, you know, the, the type of aircraft you're in, all kinds of stuff. I mean, it's, there's a lot. I mean, it's not, not that cut and dried. So stratus, you know, you, you go back to the, the Latin root word strata, which means layered. That's your, your thinner from, you know, from a vertical standpoint, uh, stratus clouds tend to be a little thinner vertically. Uh, cumuliform type clouds, that's going to have a little more vertical development to it. But laterally, they're very narrow. There's not much to them. So although in those cumuliform clouds, you may get the most severe icing, but you're you're not going to be in it that long. Stratiform type clouds, if there's a stratiform layer from you know 3,000 to 6,000, a 3,000 foot uh, thick layer, in a smaller aircraft, you know, Piper Cherokee, Cessna 172, that might be right in your sweet spot. And you may think that you're going to sit in that layer for two hours straight. Well, yeah, it might be very, very little bit of icing, but you're going to be in it for two hours. So before you know it, 
that becomes pretty substantial. So although it's vertically very thin and the uh, accretion, the amount that you're getting uh, uh, per hour is very little, you're going to be in it for two hours and you have a low performance aircraft that could matter to you in a jet of some sort of citation or whatever. You know, you have the de-icing, anti-icing capabilities. You have the excess oh, power definitely. to just, oh, okay. I was going to stay at 6,000 feet for, you know, an hour. Well, now I'll just go to 8,000 feet and be on top of it. Oh, and you have the speed to get out of it too. Well, you know, where, it changed. Well, that's yeah. yeah, the excess thrust, not the speed, but yeah, excess thrust. And yes, and that and that's what you do. That is exactly what you do. But in a 172 or a Piper Warrior, Piper Archer, that might not be possible for you. That's the difference. That's why I would just if you're if you're in something that doesn't have any de-icing capability, I would just avoid flying in possible icing situations yeah, that's, at that's, all costs. That's what, I mean, that's what, that was what's, why I always What's that important? You know? Yeah. Can't argue what, with I mean, that. You know, and that comes up with, you know, what you're talking about the, uh, I don't know, what was it, a week ago, and you're talking about um, uh, a flight instructor doing stuff without a medical. It's like, just have your, just have your medical. Now, some people, some people have health issues. Well, yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, right. I some get people, that, you know. but that, Okay. Anyway, yeah, I was going to run through. You, you said severe icing. There is actually official breakdowns I have written down. It's like light icing is considered prolonged oh, yeah. flight uh, over one hour. Quarter uh, to an inch. Be a problem. Um, it requires occasional cycling of like manual de-ice systems, which we'll get into the de-ice systems uh, in part two, the next episode. And then, as you just said, quarter to one inch accumulation rate uh, on the outer wing per hour. Uh, the second category is moderate icing. One is to three. Correct. Anything more than a <laughs> short encounter is hazardous. Uh, frequent cycling of manual de-ice systems is required. One to three inches uh, accretion rate on the outer wing per hour. And then three plus inches per hour. I'm going to steal your thunder. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for severe icing, uh, ice protection systems fail to remove accumulation uh, immediate exit is required. Uh, accumulation accrues in areas uh, not protected. Um, so, I guess we do this in part one. Where is, because um, we'll get into how airplanes uh, who are certified for, for no nice, that are certified for no nice, uh, deal with it. But in the part one here, we can get into where does, where's ice accumulating typically? Um, like, say we're flying through super cool cloud. We got, liquid water below freezing level and waiting for a, the nucleus of our airplane aluminum to freeze onto. Where's it going to, where's it going to crew? Leading edges, right? Yeah. So like the leading, le- leading edges of the wings. Yeah. Wings, tail, vertical stabilizer. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Your propeller even. I don't know. Right. Nose, nose cone. The, the times I've seen it, it's always been like, Leading edges of the wing and on antennas. Mm-hmm. It seems antennas seems like the flat, narrow surfaces that the winds going through fast accumulate the fastest. It seems like antennas usually ice up. From I mean, my anecdotal evidence of what I've seen is before the wings do. Is that does that make sense, Lee? Yeah, I mean, yeah, antennas are going to get it first. Um, you know, think think to your. Um, 
you know, your on your non known icing approved aircraft, which everybody has flown a non known icing aircraft um, into icing conditions unknowingly. That's just the way it goes. I, you get trace I'm icing, not, but well, okay, I mean, but a lot of people have, and it's totally okay. It's totally okay, totally legal. If it was not forecast to be icing and you stumbled into icing conditions, that's okay. It's just what you do next. They kind of would that's define what, that's what we're going to cover being, in part two, uh, you know, prudent, the, all that yeah. good stuff. I, I, yeah, but yeah, I've yeah seen you're people gonna take off while it's actually sleeting out and turn around after like two minutes and come back in with like I've a seen half some inch of ice on their wings. I think you probably know who I'm talking about, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> it it happens and it just. <laughs> You, it just, it's all judgment and sometimes, sometimes it's tough, you know, and that's, that's hazardous attitudes that we all have to, uh, we all have to overcome if you want to do that. And, you know, I've seen the outcome of people who have gone on to fly, you know, large aircraft that have kind of, um, really changed their stance on things they were comfortable with, you know, and then you go get into a smaller aircraft and what may have been perfectly okay in the big airplane is like way over the top and severe icing or, you know, severely uh, uh, performance degrading in a smaller aircraft. So you just have to think about what you're flying, what your mission is, how long are you going to be in that, you know, situation. And I mean, it, it's, it's a lot. I mean, it totally takes on a tool, a, a much different approach when you're flight planning, depending on what type of aircraft you're in. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of the most profound impacts you can have. There's not much that changes the character of the airplane more than icing conditions. I mean, it is, and I have, I have not, uh, fortunately, I've not been the um, I've not been witness to se- severe degradation of handling characteristics and aircraft performance. Sorry, but you know there how many people have been? Yeah, it's like out. Uh, it's a lot. It's uh, in northern Ohio, I think too. Like I talk to people down here in Florida now, and they're just like they can't relate to it at all unless they've actually flown up north. But then, like up some year, some winters. I'd take the plane over to an airport where you could run in and out. It wasn't a grass strip. Uh, so then that's the time it was snowing. And I went up to just do some trips around the pattern and I picked it up. Like it was just, it was snow, but it was like a real light crust on the leading edges of the wing. Um, over the course of like an hour I landed, I didn't really notice it when I was flying. Mm-hmm. And then when I brought it in, I noticed that just a little bit had formed on the, on the front of the leading edges. Different different form of icing than you typically talk about, but if you take off on a grass strip that has like a little bit of snow on it, that snow can pack into your your brakes and your wheel pants. Oh yeah! And when you get up in the air, it freezes solid. And then when you go to land, you don't you're not expecting it, and your your wheels have, are locked up because you got all that ice. I in have there experienced that, that. Yep. as you as you picked it up when you were taking off. I've had that happen. And I I had, I had the wheel pants on yeah. my one fifty. So oh yeah, they get packed with snow, and then you get up, 
you get up in the air and it just freezes solid. It's like almost a weight and balance consideration, shoving pack yeah. and snow and ice yeah. up in the wheel pants. Yeah, and then you go to land, which if you land on the grass again, you're you're all right. But if you land on uh, hard surface, it's going to grab pretty hard. It's going to and here's and here's a, a different. Um, it's more common. This is one if you're flying uh, an O two Continental O two hundred, which is on the one fifties. Uh, carburetor icing Th- that you can get in the middle of summer yeah what is it you can get that up to up to 70 degrees fahrenheit i believe yeah they say i believe that sounds that sounds correct yeah because i remember it'd be summertime and you'd, you'd be getting Always. you still put the carburetor heat on when you're Always. coming in even if it's 70 <laughs> degrees out yep yeah and that that happens because the there's a negative pressure right in the carburetor because um, the engine's pulling in that air and then you have negative pressure it lowers the temperature of that air and it can freeze is that how you explain I, that lee or not I mean, I mean yeah the concept is there yeah i mean you're gonna lower you're gonna lower that intake air temperature by like 30 40 degrees fahrenheit so if it's 70 yeah. and you lower it 30 degrees that means you're lowering that air temperature to 30 degrees or yeah well, my math sucks 40 degrees <laughs> So if you lower it 30 to 40, if you lower it 40 from 70, that's 30 degrees Fahrenheit. Yes. So any moisture that is in that incoming air charge, if you will, you're putting it right into that that the dew point, basically. So any moisture that is suspended in that air mass is getting wrung out and you're at freezing. So it's going to basically adhere to whatever surface it comes into contact with, which is, of course, your your venturi throat, that, that throttle plate. I, I guess I don't know how else I would describe that. Scott, you would know better than me. Yeah, but little throttle plate in there. I don't know if that's a technical term. Yeah. Uh, well, any time you have air going into a narrowing uh, tube or anything, it's going to going to cool it down it's going to speed up the yeah yes which lowers the temperature which the air, right? you know lowers the pressure yeah. which also if you if you don't have pedo heat you got to be careful too because you could lose your air that's, speed that's another good point yeah yeah it's hard to fly if you don't know your air that's, speed. The, o- that's the only anti-d anti-ice de-ice thing on the 150 is is the pedo heat no well, you have carburetor yeah. ice that's typically an too. anti-ice that's Carburetor heat is technically an anti-ice, not a de-ice. Because, yeah, if you've loaded up on ice, that carb heat's not going to do it much good at, at a certain point. Yeah, I mean, if you get into... I mean, yes, the way we treat carburetor ice in most carbureted aircraft is you're treating it as a precautionary de-ice type function. But, you know, you dig into the air, uh, you know, approved flight manual, the pilot's operating handbook... You're looking at it, and you're it's functioning like, hey, if you're within this temperature window, this moisture content, whatever, you're turning that carburetor. Don't use it partially; use it full. Oh yeah, and, and they're all saying that unless you have a carburetor temp gauge, which yeah, I mean, arguably, yeah, maybe we all should, but and and then you would think, and then everybody would think about it correctly. You think about it as a anti ice versus a de ice. And and so that's kind of a misnomer, I guess, you know, in in the whole um, icing situation. But you want to treat carburetor ice as an anti-ice, not a de-ice. Yes. It's preventative. It's, it's a preventative, yeah. And, and that's how you want most of it to be. The only de-ice that I can logically think of, like universally, is like de-ice boots. Yeah. You let the ice accrue, 
then you hit the boots. We'll get, that, that's yeah, D-Ice. We'll that on uh, part two. But like the O200, the Continental O200, yeah. the engine that's on the Cessna 150s, that is, um, it can be, it can de-ice it a little bit because anyone who's flown on those airplanes has gotten it unintentionally, even in like level flight. And then the engine starts. Right. Know, but carburetor ice and anti ice, it's not a de ice. Yeah, I've, I've, I've put it on after like engine will start running rough and it's like, okay, it's probably carburetor ice. Pull the carburetor heat, full carburetor heat, let it run for five minutes because it runs even worse once you put the carb heat on. And that's what most and people then, don't realize. Yes, that's yeah. a good point. It's a good so you point. Keep, you keep that on and then let it run even worse because it's melting down that ice and that's kind of ingesting ingesting it in the motor and then once you take it off turn that off after five minutes then you notice okay it was carburetor ice because i got all my rpms back from from before i started the process if you start to pull it on and it starts running rough you want to do it real slow you know you don't want to you want to just yank it on because you're going to put water in your who cares who cares you don't want to stall your engine I i always put it on all the way Full, no, you want all the way. Slow. Hammer slow. down. Now, if it starts I, running, I pull that. If, if you start pulling it, it on and it starts running rough, you want to do it real slow because you don't want all that water pouring into your carburetor at the same time. Ice is water. So if you melt that ice, you're shooting a bunch of water right in your engine. Yeah. So your engine can handle a little bit of water. You don't want to pour a whole bunch in there if you want to do it slowly. Okay, so hold on. So, so you're you're worried about the water that's getting ingested, the ice right. getting melted, turning into water, getting maybe burned, which obviously doesn't burn, right? No, exactly. so you're worried about your but, your engine yeah. quitting. What that's, are you it, concerned? It could, about? or you lose you lose power. You're gonna lose yeah, horsepower. Who cares if you lose power? You're supposed to do the. You're so it's an anti-ice function. I don't know. I was always told if you hear it start to run rough, put it in slowly from don don told nope. me to yank nope. the thing out we had the same instruction yank it oh i was told i was told if you if it starts running rough you put it in slowly nope nope you're wrong okay well, <laughs> whatever. So you're, you're like you're like my weather we're like my wind direction on putting bay right now scott from episode three so, whatever uh, <laughs> well, and no, I mean this. Hey, this is huge, though. We're stumbling across stuff. We're covering great. I swear, great you're, spo- you're supposed to a lot of people. You're supposed to lay it off it a little bit for a second if it starts running rough. You no, want all that not. water pouring into no, your engine all at once. What does it matter? You can pull the mixture. You can stall your engine out. out. You're not going to stall your engine out. Don't say those words again on this podcast ever. <laughs> If, I I know we're not going to stall your engine. Thought about hey, this hey debate. listen, I, I, listen, listen, and listen. Good, <laughs> you can pull that mixture and cut off the fuel to your engine. Okay, I'm not talking about ingesting water. I'm talking about ingesting nothing. Okay, yeah, and that engine, that prop, is going to keep turning. Because you're going 100 miles an hour. Okay. So as soon as that fuel starts flowing and water's not going through it like you're talking about, that engine is going to come right back to life. It will be momentary. How much ice do you think you could possibly accrue inside that tiny, tiny carburetor? Yeah, you could. You could. A, a quarter a quarter of a pound? A quarter pound? Sounds delicious right now. It, do, it does sound delicious. 
I'm, I'm gonna, I'm Scott, gonna look into this. It, I, I think, I think you're supposed to uh, let it melt slowly if you got too much in there. Negative. You do. You if you don't, both, you guys both look into this, and then whatever your results are, we can put in the show notes for this episode. I'll, at at anything. I don't need to look into anything. Keep drinking, buddy. Keep drinking. I'm just saying, <laughs> if it's all or nothing, if you don't have a carburetor. <laughs> If you don't have a carburetor air temperature, it's all or nothing. So when you when you determine that you have carburetor icing, so that in a fixed pitch prop, that is a drop in RPM. So if you suspect that, it's full carburetor ice. If you have a carburetor ice gauge or a carburetor temperature gauge, you can modulate your carburetor heat, uh, you know, um, c- control to keep yourself right in the range that's going to keep you out of carburetor icing conditions. But most airplanes don't have that. It's, it's normally um, bigger, uh, di- uh, bigger bore uh, engines. So like your Continental 0470 or your co- or a Lycoming 0540. So you're talking about your bigger, bigger carburetor. Uh, some Comanches, Cessna 182s, um, things like that. Cessna 180s, 185s, or yeah, not 185s, but 180s. So big bore Continentals and Lycomings, that's where you're going to have that carburetor temp gauge. Or, or radials. Radials will have it too, because that was very common so, back then. So what are you supposed to do if uh, you pull the carburetor heat on and it starts running rough? Let it, let it run rough. Let it go. It's going to ingest the ice, and it's going to come right back to Would you to adjust life. the mixture? Negative. We, oh, no, no, no. According to, well, hold on. According to AOPA, you're supposed to lean it out. No, you can do that. And, and you know what? And there's a lot of topic on that, too. If you want to talk to a lot of um, old radiator uh, pilots, um, we know some locally. But if you talk to them, they're going to say, put in your carburetor heat. Let get it into the perfect range for the carburetor temperature so that you're not going to accrue carburetor ice, or at least that moisture is going to come right through. It'll be minimal carburetor ice, and then lean to that. Correct. Because if you pull in your carburetor ice, what's that doing to your mixture? That's richening your mixture. It's not leaning it out. That's richening your mixture because you're thinning out the air because it's warmer air, so it's thinner. So that means your your air-to-fuel mixture went you know more towards rich, so then you can further lean your mixture and um, have a little bit more fuel economy. That is very common amongst. Then you got to re-enrich when you turn the car beat off because you got colder air going back in. Correct. Yep. You yeah. You'd be yeah, lean you, if you just you turn need, your carburetor you heat off. More fuel. Yep. You'd need more fuel. Exactly right. That and that is that is very com. That's common knowledge amongst uh, radial. Aircraft, you know, do we, radio do we have Don's pilots. number? I'm going to call him tomorrow and ask him what he taught Scott and I. Because I swear, I swear he taught me just to pull it all the way out I, and leave. Ma- it. Well, I I flew with I flew with a couple different I flew with a couple different Dons. It may have been a different Don that told okay, me. Okay, I know which <laughs> I know. Okay. Oh. So. Ah uh, yes, uh, yes. You know, it's been, it's been, it's been 10, well, it's been, God, it's been, uh, 15 years. So I don't, I don't know <laughs> who I, told me that. I just was told at one point by somebody, I don't remember who it was. I flew with a lot of instructors, you know, there was yeah. two main ones, but I flew with several instructors. At, at one point, somebody told me that if it starts running rough, apply it slowly. 
That's the first time hearing of it. So I wish I remember who told me. Let me let the primary Don. Yeah. Well, I put that. Yeah. Let's solve this. Rip it. Just full heat right now. Get rid of the carburetor ice. I, I know somebody that knows every single thing that there is to know about (laughs) flying. So maybe I'll just ask that person. person. Yeah. All right. Let me know how that goes. (laughs) Do you know anybody? Do you know anybody about? Do you know yeah, anybody? I can like give that? you a few names. We're gonna maybe only need one. That's <laughs> well, well, probably not a good idea. I, uh, I I have his number. I can text him right now if you want. We're gonna wrap this up. We're at fifty minutes. We'll cut into then part two, uh, which will come out uh, after this. This will be zero zero five. The next one will be zero zero six. We'll get into the actual uh, different de-icing capabilities, like once you're in the air, how to deal with it, that sort of thing. Um, show notes. Uh, rubberburger.com backslash F-A-R-A-I-M 005 for this episode and uh, if, if Scott and Lee have any links they want to put in about uh, carburetor ice they'll be welcome to do so oh I'll be doing some research okay and then uh, <laughs> if you would like to email Lee or Scott Lee's email is F-A-R-A-I-M at LeeGriffing.com G-R-I-F-F-I-N-G and if you want to Email Scott. It's f a r a i m at scottboris.com, b o r e s, and uh, my own is f a r a i m at robertberger.com. Uh, we are officially, as of this recording, now in the Apple Podcast Player. If you have an iPhone or an iPad, we are looking for good ratings, not only five star ratings. We want even more from you guys. We want entertaining comments in those ratings. Comments uh, and questions, so we can have a uh, not necessarily questions, but. I want questions. Send the questions to your email. All right. This is not, not the sure. forum. Um, so yet okay. we hugely appreciate that. We're trying to get the new and noteworthy section. <laughs> uh, since this first eight weeks, I'm going to be uh, harping on this every episode. And then uh, that's all I got. We can see you guys in uh, the second installment of the icing AD. Uh, that's all I got. AC. AC. I'm thinking of after death, which is that's pretty right. morbid. Wrap it up. Take take care, guys. See you. See you in the next one. See you all later.